75th episode of the Outback Cast. My name is Steve Cuff. Joining me today, I've got Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. Hi, Myros. You get anything fun for Christmas? Not really, no. You think this is going to sound like a dated conversation when this episode comes out in three months? Probably. Probably, I'd imagine. Uh, Also joining me, Sean Glynis. Hey, Steve. Sean, did you get anything good for Christmas? Uh, No, but... um... I just wanted to say that uh, I'm happy to be here on the uh, the Diamond episode of the Outfat Cast. Oh, is this the Diamond episode? It must be. Yeah. That's if, exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. We should uh, have a catered party. Makes sense to me, at least. Uh, Jake is here. Jake Trapila, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great because you sound wonderful. New microphone for Christmas, Jake? I did. Santa left one under the tree. It was uh, delightful to open and find. That's fantastic. You know what I got for Christmas, Jake? No, Steve. What'd you get for Christmas? I'm I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I got a a notebook, okay, and it's made out of a VHS cover of RoboCop. Ooh. And I, you know what I write in that notebook? Uh, all the things, all the things I don't like about Sean Glennis. Anyways. We're here, here today he because... Was, he was going to put, like, uh, instead of putting a lock on it, he's just going to write, bitches leave on the front page. Bitches leave, that's it. <laughs> that's how I keep people out. Anyways, we're here today because uh, the algorithm has basically taken over our lives, gentlemen. Uh, there is no cast anymore. We don't have subjects for our podcasts. Uh, we just we just look at what people are clicking on on the internet, and uh, then that's what we talk about. We use our computer algorithms. We're going to be replaced by robots. I saw Cam recently on Netflix, and I feel like we're, we're setting up a Cam scenario, but uh, with, with less, um, you know, crowdsourced uh, dildo stimulation. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I think this is a great topic to talk about because a lot of people are kind of doing, you know, year-end, oh, the best of the year type of stuff, and I'm sure we'll get there eventually, but I'd rather do a doom and gloom episode about how uh, technology's going to kill us. It's kind of like our version of the Black Mirror, right? Yeah, except less interactivity. Yeah, we don't <laughs> get to choose well. how we go out. <laughs> it would be cool, though, if, if our listeners had the option to, like, hit a button, and then, but no matter what they hit, it changes the episode, but they're still not really satisfied with it. <laughs> well, that's like the, the skip forward button, pretty much, right? That's it. Just keep hitting, yeah, just keep hitting the forward 30 seconds button and you'll be disappointed every time. Is Don't there worry. A, is there a, a skip intro button? Uh, no, there's, that's, that's the most important part. And wherein I screw up at least a half dozen times and uh, try to mock all of you. So. Nobody, nobody <laughs> heard that, though. All right, let's let's try and pick apart this Netflix shit because my brain has been melting as I've, I've tried to figure this out. I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I watched the Bird Box and Bird Box broke me. Like I thought I could kind of wrap my head around whatever the fuck Netflix is doing uh, with the whole release of Roma and, and Other Side of the Wind and some of the other things that they've been up to. But I, we we have to talk about Bird Box because I have been absolutely completely broken well we 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 used to have cable boxes oh and now we have a bird box 
Maybe that's what we should call this because, uh, you know, like the movie Bird Box, I find media streaming at this point in my life completely uh, tedious, unsatisfying, annoying. Is that the whole idea, like the whole reason why we're like, oh, we, we are hip millennials and we have officially cut the cord and so we wouldn't have to pay a fucking cable bill. And now all I can think in the back of my head is, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was some sort of service that just kind of pulled all this TV and all these movies <laughs> together that I like and I just had to pay one <laughs> provider for it? And then it's, it's like, like, oh, that's it's fucking great. Comcast. I'm going to yeah. kill myself. Great. It's best to pay uh, 12 cable bills instead of one. Yeah, that's, that's, all we're, that's all I'm doing at this point is I'm, I'm paying 12 cable bills. Or in some cases, we've instituted, like, cable communism, wherein we all pay for one individual right. service and then share it. Like, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I will not admit paying, to that on the air. No. I was going to say, you're not paying for Hulu, Steve. Um, <laughs> but uh, is it going back to Netflix's programming, it's been a weird year. Uh, which I think that's kind of what we want to get at uh, is sort of like the turn that they had where for probably the first nine months, um, or maybe a little less. There wasn't really much to speak of. I, I guess there were some, there were some comedies and and uh, a couple rom coms that that people really liked that um, I personally thought were were not very successful. But um, and then they had like this big awards run uh, that started with uh, some adult dramas, um, and then you know we got the Coen Brothers movie after that. And then we had this big Roma push. And, of course, there was so much fanfare around the other side of the wind. But then there's this little stuff like Cam and, and that mixed in there. And then Bird Box, which is sort of this counter-programming to all that award stuff. And I, I don't know I don't know what the best way to approach this is. Um, what? Because they're not I, just I'm a just... regular distributor, I don't think. Right. It, it's kind of interesting because any studio that was, like, putting had an award season with films from, like, Gareth Evans and Jiwoon Kim and the Coen brothers and fucking Orson Welles and Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, you'd, you'd just, you know, Tip it's stacked. It, it would blow your mind. You, that would be the the most rich season for a studio ever. And, and it's all happening here. And it doesn't seem to be... I'm, I'm kind of interested in it because it doesn't seem to have... I don't think Netflix has a, a ton to say about any of these films. I think they're giving a lot of these directors a lot of freedom but i i don't know i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i i would have thought going in it was a a, a great development but i don't know i feel like it's it's kind of reminiscent of the hollywood new wave but Except every movie is Heaven's Gate for whatever reason, and 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 everything isn't like everything. Not everything, but a lot of the stuff is also based in, like Steve said, algorithms uh, that are you know uh, trafficking. You know, our traffic is is how they gather sort of what they want to to start producing. So it's a little different, but. Uh, I kind of get what you're saying. But you know what's funny? This is just a side note. But they gave like a bunch of award screeners to people, uh, which means people were watching DVD. Well, had the option of watching DVDs of their screeners that were streaming in better quality. <laughs> That's kind of insane. Well, I mean, I guess maybe if you're like, you know, the the film critic from the uh, the Duluth Countryman newspaper or something, and uh, you, you don't have your Netflix going. But other than that, I can't think of a reason why the fuck anyone would need a, str a screener. 
Maybe foreign distribution? I don't know if all I, of these are, I don't are even available think they, I don't even think they're meant to be played, honestly. I think it's just sort of like to get something in the mail that is a nice package that says, yeah. this is what we're considering, and then it has copy on it about you know the specifics of what they want to put forth, but... It's just maybe, kind of funny. maybe, yeah. You get like a nice package, and then and then you open it up, and you open this DVD case, and there's just a note inside that says, "Hey, you looking for a screener? Why not try a streamer, you dumb bitch?" And then you just <laughs> there's a link. Yep. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a little is, aggressive. It, yeah. Oh, it's also it. kind of interesting. I mean, they have this huge slate, and they they are still doing things like screeners and the timing of all the releases. It's like they're still playing, but by this old Academy Award template for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't understand why they're sending screeners in the first place. Why not just send a, a link to the, the Netflix password? Because that's how everyone else does it when they watch exactly. Netflix. <laughs> um, it's, it's gotten to the point where I have multiple... Uh, hi, you can arrest me, uh, Internet and, Cops. Yeah. I, I've, got, I've got certain streaming services on my you know smart TV and stuff. I don't even know whose account I'm really in at this point. It's just strangers. I... Oh, it's no joke. I I believe we are squarely to blame for the death of Filmstruck. Just just saying. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I had free access to it. And I think I watched it twice. So, uh, um, R.I.P. Filmstruck. What's interesting about yeah. the uh, so if they're sending out these screeners as sort of like a bit of like pomp, um, and just to sort of you know make a big display, uh, that's countered by the fact that a lot of this stuff you have to search to find on the actual interface or the fact that something like the other the other side of the wind which is something that they've financed only put out by netflix and has uh routinely been put under the subhead hidden gems which is um just kind of an ironic way to say that we're hiding this gem from you well and and at least for me on the Netflix account that I use, it was there to begin with. Like it never, it never was on the front page. It's always been a hidden gem for me. Yeah, exactly. And, but, but that gets more into, and and it's impossible to know the extent of this. But uh, each of our Netflix experiences is, is completely different. You know, so uh, not only in the categories that show up and the movies that show up for us, um, but everything like down to the thumbnails that we see. So. Each you know Netflix original and a lot of the the movies that they bring in from the outside, there's at least like a half a dozen different thumbnails that will change based on what your viewing habits are. So, uh, for instance, if you wanted to watch Goodwill Hunting, um, you know, and, and you you watch a lot of stand up comedy, then you know you're probably going to get a, 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 a thumbnail with Robin Williams on it. Where you know if you've watched a lot of Ben Affleck movies. Maybe you'll get some Ben Affleck in there or something. So they, it changes based on your viewing habits, whether it's you know by the genres or by actors or actresses that you like and things like that. So that can change as well. So I, I don't even know if I'm comfortable saying that Other Side of the Wind was buried other than it seems like, based on my viewing habits, that that, that Other Side of the Wind is definitely my shit. So <laughs> I don't know yeah. why well, it wouldn't yeah. show up for me. And to that point, if that is how they are doing a lot of... I, like, I think that 
my guess is that to a certain extent they're doing what you're saying and then to another extent they're just putting whatever the hell they want out there but um if they are basing people's exposure to other side of the wind based on what they're watching you what what qualifies as something connected because nothing on there i mean they put on a couple old orson welles movies for just for that release but like you can't watch other old movies like that were that fit with uh, his catalog to really be like, oh, this person would love this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now, uh, I just read this figure, and it's it's like ninety five percent or ninety eight percent, some like mid to high nineties uh, percentile of films that are on Netflix uh, were produced in the twenty first century. So there's like. <laughs> There's, there's yeah. no uh, everything is a post nine eleven film. We're living in the post nine eleven Netflix era, and it, all this original program that they have coming through too, and how they're pushing that. So yeah, there's no, there's nothing to connect Orson Welles to anything on on the service or even any of the actors or actresses that are featured in Other Side of the Wind. It's just this anomaly that they happen to have, and it is kind of a unique film in that regard, anyways. But it's it's weird to me to see them sort of bury that but then it's like when they rolled out Roma like Netflix for me was just you know Roma Central there was just oh, the yeah. trailer was running the fucking pictures were everywhere it was all up in my fucking face Buster Scruggs similar situation I did not have to work hard to find that and I, I don't even understand from the standpoint of like things that I like so uh, I, I watched Netflix original The Night Comes for Us which came out back in like October and I gave it like four stars on Netflix. I enjoyed it. I watched it. And the same director put out another movie, a horror movie, which is something I watch a lot of. And for, and that guy's movie was just completely buried for me. Like I had to dig it up. So why wouldn't that show up for me? I have no idea. I don't know how any of this shit works. And it's just fucking weird to me. And I, I don't, I can't wrap my head around it. Uh, but the, there's, there's another wrinkle to this too that is important to understand when we think of other studios like a studio like Paramount they're putting out 30 movies in a year let's say that seems like about an average 30 movies whereas Netflix they're planning on putting out 200 next year and there's so much shit and we don't even know about it so right now uh, Welcome to Marwin is out in the theaters and it is it's, it's already been decreed a, a, a flop right like it was got it got some lukewarm critical reception but but the more important story is it didn't make any fucking money and they did a horrible job of marketing it and that's the story of the movie right how sure. many movies do you think netflix released last year that you don't even know they exist i don't even know if things are a series or a movie until i click on them half the time exactly yeah. so the, the the advantage that netflix has over a traditional studio not only can they do more volume and they can freely mix the art house stuff with the big budget uh, populist stuff but if if something doesn't do well it's not a story it just doesn't fucking exist so I, i'm i'm looking through right now and just in, uh, let's see, the month of April in 2018, uh, Netflix released Amateur, Six Balloons, and Come Sunday. Have you heard of any of those? I've, I've, no. he I've heard of Come Sunday, but uh, uh, yeah. I've not seen it. I haven't, like, talked to anybody about it. Yeah. So, again, it's it's just, we yeah, it, there's there's all kinds of things that we don't even see. So, if these are flops, that we don't see them. And they're also producing a lot of movies 
for international audiences. So Netflix is putting out movies in Korean, in Hindi, uh, Indonesian, uh, Arabic, Italian, all all these things, and not necessarily like, oh, it's an Italian art house film. Like, literally just like, oh, look, silly Italian rom-com for apparently Italian Netflix users. So there's all this, like, international shit going on and the fact that they can bury anything that they don't want you to know about. So the only thing that we see from Netflix and, and the only discourse around this shit is the things that are doing well. They've, they've done a really good job of, of basically controlling their own narrative of what we're seeing and what we're talking about. Yeah, I wonder how well uh, Roma... I, I wonder if that's been successful because they really did... Um, I don't know. I was going to ask if anybody else um, experienced this on the same level, but my whole like interface, like they changed the theme of Netflix for Roma. Like When you open yeah. it up, that the N was... Um, was Roma themed and then the, the there was like this whole wallpaper change um kind of like back in the day when you'd download a new theme for your for your uh, desktop that's exactly uh, what happened skin? with me yeah yeah same uh and uh i wonder how much that paid off like i know a lot of uh, uh the only discourse i've seen is through critical discourse um but i don't know how like, what does that look like for uh, for the layperson watching movies? Like, oh, what is this? And then they put it on. And the thing about Roma uh, is that it, it it's it's a, it's classifiably slow cinema. Like, it's not it's not something like Bird Box, which Bird Box is just complete like background noise. Bird like, Box is a different kind of slow cinema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dimwitted cinema. Um, uh, Bird Box is something that you can follow along. And have it on and like pay atten- like barely pay attention. You could be visiting with friends or family and just have it on and know exactly what's going on at any given point. Um, and Roma is not like that. Um, like whether you love it or hate it, it's it's something that's densely rich and uh, rewards uh, attention and it's just very it's just a very quiet very slow moving movie so it's it's just kind of like an interesting thing for them to pull out all the stops for but i don't know i didn't read anything i'm not like huge on reading all of you know the receipts but uh i haven't seen them talk about it the way they've talked about bird box but the thing is they they don't care like it doesn't it doesn't matter it's a lot more valuable for them to say we produced a best picture nominee mm. that's going to mm-hmm. get that's going to get a, a couple grandmas to go sign up for Netflix. That's but it, true. It, it doesn't matter to them one lick if a uh, hundred thousand people watch the movie or if ten thousand people do. It's about enticing people to join the service. It, it, an individual film's performance is irrelevant to their model. Yeah, that's a very good point. I guess I'm just more curious on a just personal level. Sure. Like, sure. yeah. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, when I was I was at Christmas and uh, Susan's uncle Gary was just like, "Man, I saw this foreign language black and white movie the other day. It was fucking horrible." And I was just like, "Roma." <laughs> 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 so the uh, the like mid sixties uh, white Catholic German Milwaukeean uh, audience isn't isn't really taken to it. I, I can tell you that, but. Well, you would like. I can't imagine like your uncle stumbles onto the other side of the wind. It just wouldn't go well. <laughs> you don't well, think? And you talk about like no. Roma is like slow cinema where you, you kind of gotta you know lose yourself in it <laughs> from the comfort of your couch, I guess. 
uh, other side of the wind, I felt like every time I blinked, I was missing something important. <laughs> it's just like it's like completely so manic. dense. Yeah. yeah, and there's so much going on at any given moment. Like I, yes. I got up, I, I ordered a pizza, and I got up just to answer the door. And I sat back down. I was just like, I, I gotta, I gotta go back. I don't know what's happening right now. Right, I can't imagine just a, a casual person sitting through like the first twenty minutes of that movie and not being like, oh god, what if I done? <laughs> Shut yeah, it exactly. off. Shut it off. Or even, even like I think like around like the forty-five minute mark where they're they're screening the the movie within the movie, and it's just like, oh yeah, here's like a. 70s Italian Jallo style uh, slasher made by this weird Orson Welles esque surrogate. Like, what the fuck? Like, I, I just, yeah. I don't know. Which is kind of funny uh, because it's it was so ahead of its time in terms of this the way the mockumentary thing is like sort of taken over. Oh sure. Uh, presently, but um, I I. I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on the aforementioned adult dramas um uh specifically thinking of the land of steady habits and private life did any has anybody else seen either of those i have not i have not no well geez uh a bunch of of adults content on there sean (laughs) yeah too much tent dog no, but uh, regardless, um, <clears throat> that is, I, I feel like in like the uh, critical um, chambers, uh, a few times a year, I always hear um, or read about like the forsaken adult drama in the, in you know, uh, as part of like franchising and <clears throat> And whatnot at the multiplex, like, you know, we're not getting a lot of like Alexander Payne type of movies. Um and uh or, or if we are it's like one or two during prestige season but um that's just like say, a if genre if we are he's shrinking people for some reason yeah yeah sure but like that sort of milieu and um it, and it's it's just sort of like a, a, a genre that has been phased out um and i i appreciate even though like I'm not high. I'm not. Well, I think private life is pretty good. It's worth watching. Line of steady habits is not very good, but, um, but that's a nice thing, a nice service that they provide, like to be able to watch something like that. I mean, another, another adult drama support the girls is something that went straight to VOD as well. So, uh, and I mean, unless you live in like a big city, but, um, I don't know if that, if that genre is going to be relegated to streaming, I would hope that, you know, Netflix keeps doing that. And and employing um, both of those were directed by women who, uh, you know, could be considered auteurs, like have like a, a rich tradition or at least a hall of Cent- hall of center more than Tamar Jenkins. Tamar Jenkins has like sort of a rich body of work, um, and so I don't know. That was cool to see. Yeah, well, and it's interesting you mentioned that too because I've noticed that. Since I've started watching more, um, you know, whether it's adult dramas or prestige style stuff on Netflix in the last few years, it's sort of altered my perception of movies that I'm, I'm seeing in the movie theaters. So I don't know. This must have been last year or maybe the year before. I think it was last year. I saw The Founder in the yeah. theater. And all I could think of was, it, I mean, it's like super tepid biopic drama just as like middle of the road as you could possibly get but just the whole presentation and and the way the film is is composed 
it just fe- it just felt like a Netflix movie to me. Like that's that's what it felt like. It just felt like a dump it on streaming Netflix drama. But I saw it in the theater, you know. And yeah. and there's this whole genre of films like that where I feel like that's where they're most at home is just sort of sitting there and streaming. Yeah, perhaps. There's a lot. I I feel like you mentioned the uh, the Netflix. Uh, it looks like a Netflix movie. That's something that um, is thrown all around a lot. I I use it a lot too, and. Um, I wonder if we're going to have to, you know, sort of more strictly define that or, or dispose of that as things change. Because, I mean, something like Bird Box, uh, it obviously had some sort of budget, um, whereas something like To All the Boys I Loved Before or Set It Up, uh, the, the two rom-coms that came out earlier in the year, look very much like TV movies. Um, and something like Roma looks exquisite. Yeah. Yeah, Roma does not look like a Netflix movie. It feels weird just God, even watching the trailer for Roma on my TV, it's just like, ah, this is it, I shouldn't be doing this. It doesn't seem right. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, and well, and the other thing is and this is probably changing too, but I I used to associate Netflix with a studio didn't know what to do with something, so they sold it for, you know, pennies on the dollar to Netflix and just dumped it there. So something like Cloverfield Paradox, for example, which is complete trash. And uh, the studio probably thought it was going to make money. And then they saw it. They're like, oh, my God, what the fuck is this? So they just they just dumped it. Didn't even bother because, you know, the uh, the marketing budget and, and everything that surrounds the release of a film would have cost more than it was it was worth. So streaming and video on demand especially it's weird because you you do get these prestige things and these these dramas that might not find a home other places or even with Roma where Kiran has gone on the record saying he's like yeah we shopped this to like every single studio and everybody was just like we don't think for this money that you that you're trying to make this movie for that we can really sell a black and white subtitled dramatic film it just it's not going to work at your budget and netflix was the only one that said sure here's a fuckload of money so yeah it's, yeah it's just bizarre the the breadth and the depth of what you get on netflix and still i feel like i can't i can't scratch the surface of it because i can't find a damn thing that i want to see <laughs> yeah in that sense too they are very much um distributors and not a library um, I think that's a better way to categorize that. I mean, those are just binaries, and so neither of them are going to be, you know, specific enough. But, but I, I, I definitely would think of it at this point uh, more as a distributor than a library. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's not a li- li- The library doesn't, you know, randomly decide every month if they're going to burn a couple books or not. That just. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's true. I, they're definitely much more interested in curation than certain services that we highlight on certain other podcasts. <laughs> I don't think Bezos gives a tin fuck about any sort of curation. <laughs> oh, my this God. Yeah, like, you want to talk about that. Holy shit. Well, that's a totally different model, too. Like, you know, what Amazon does, they do the full theatrical release, and you just you know it's going to come to Amazon Prime eventually, but you don't know when. But Amazon Prime is still the Wild West. I could... I could literally take a uh, an iPhone video of me spinning my dick around for 15 seconds and upload it to Amazon <laughs> Prime right now and just call it like, you know, Optimism Vaccine Presents Meat Spin and it could be up there. 
Well, no one, yeah, no one is stopping was, anyone. Jack was just talking yesterday about how he saw they had released a, a low-budget Japanese film he'd been wanting to see, and it ended up that the copy that was on Amazon Prime was uh, a pirated <laughs> version of the film. Yeah, one, one, cut, one cut of the dead. One cut of the dead, yeah. There's also, crazy. there's also no way to really gauge how well a film is doing on Netflix, and up until... Because Netflix does is they're very shady. They don't share any numbers up until... Uh, Bird Box came out, in which case after a week they said Bird Box has been viewed by 45 million accounts, <laughs> which is... That's not possible. <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of questions raised there. I mean, first of all, it just seems like an arbitrary number they could have put out. We don't have any other previous data to compare it with. It's it it's just completely a part of their, their fucking... I don't know, the, the way that they the, that they distribute and market the films, but they don't share anything about how well a film does or what those views means in terms of profit or how long into the film people watch and start and stop it. Like, do you have to finish the movie to, for that to count? It's, there's just so many questions raised. It doesn't, they can say whatever they want. I don't, I, I'm not going to believe them. Well, and if you, if you compare that number to the last time they released a number of how many subscribers they have overall, that means that one in three Netflix accounts has viewed bird box which is insane to me do people really like sandra bullock that much well it, again it's a minutes thing i feel like it's just like the banner and you accidentally click your mouse or some shit all of a sudden you're watching bird box and you're like fuck this is terrible i'm gonna shut it off but now you're one of the 45 million man yeah yeah that that assumes that they're transparent but what what do you guys um i guess not everybody here pays for their netflix but it's what are something... you insinuating, Sean? <laughs> I pay uh, for mine. Okay, I do. Well, I actually pay for 4K Netflix. <laughs> oh wow! Well, okay then. Um, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering um, about how you rationalize or reconcile or whatever. Or, you know, maybe those are too heavy, but um, uh, paying for it, like I don't. I don't know that I use it enough, but I, I also it's it's one of those weird things where enough people use mine, like I share with my family, that if I shut it down, people would be like, "What the hell? Like, what what, what happened to Netflix?" Um, so I wouldn't. But uh, if it was just me, I would definitely contemplate. Um, I, I I would very seriously contemplate quitting because um, I don't really view it, like I said, as like this archive. Uh, and more of a distribution, and the dis the, the movies that that come out, uh, you can pirate immediately. Um, so I don't I don't know. I was just wondering how you guys view. I, I feel like that's also reflective of of them becoming more and more of a distributor and less about like uh, I don't go. Do you guys go there to discover other things that you don't know? Like when you turn on Netflix to find something, are you searching for stuff? And if you are, do you find stuff? Um, hmm. I don't. I don't usually use Netflix unless I I know what I'm looking for. Like if if I hear Buster Scruggs is on Netflix, I'm gonna go to Netflix and watch that. But I'm not. I'm not like if it's hot. If it's October, I'm not perusing the horror section of Netflix to see what good films are there because there's maybe like one or two rows of classic horror movies you're familiar with, and then there's about thirty pages of this low-budget shit that I've never even heard of that I, I can't even delve into. So I'm not, it's, I, I, I'm not, yeah, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's a video library that I'm hoping they have something I'm interested in and not something that, oh, maybe I'll walk out with, uh, with a new stack of books. 
Yeah, that's for me. That's even more an interface issue than it is a content issue. Like I, I'd love to use it like that. I kind of miss the days where you could walk into the blockbuster and uh, poke around because you wanted to watch a vague right. horror movie, and you can't do that on Netflix. Oh, you, and that's not that's not damning of them specifically, but more the streaming model in general. Because trust me, a lot of the other services are far worse than they are about that. But a there's no way to to get an accurate view of of the scope of their library. There's so many things that no matter what, which one of the seven thousand categories you search by, that a lot of movies just don't fucking show up. <laughs> yeah, and and another thing they do too, and this drives me nuts, is you know they have their like hyper specific genre categories where it's just like uh, here's a list of psychological gothic thrillers with silly hats you know and, and and they'll give you all these different categories but i find myself whenever i'm going through these it's just the same shit over and over again like i feel like there's i mean there's there's thousands of movies on netflix tens of thousands probably i don't know and i, I feel like i see the exact same 100 or so movies basically every time i log in so yeah, you know absolutely I, I was just mentioning to Myros the other day uh, another huge issue that hadn't really surfaced uh, regarding Netflix before, or at least I hadn't heard about it, but um, they have uh, uh, John Carpenter's Christine on right now, and um, which is a movie we talked about in a previous podcast, lovely movie, um, mm-hmm. and they're showing it in 1.85 to 1 ratio, mm-hmm. uh, which is just clearly... Uh, so butchered from from Carpenter's Cinemascope, um, and they ha- yeah I, I've never experienced that with them before. Uh, like they have Heat on right now. I highly doubt that that's in one point eight five, but um, I, I don't know what the, the logic is there. But uh, other streaming services that are from channels like HBO and Stars, both um, I've had this this trouble with both of them many times where I go to uh, I'm like oh cool they have this older movie in their catalog that I've been meaning to watch and I watch it and I either I'm like well at first I'd be like this looks a little weird so I look at the aspect ratio and of course it's cropped so now at this point before I even like think about putting something in the queue or anything like that I look up the aspect ratio because I don't want to waste that time but it's really worrisome uh, trend of like we don't really care about uh, anything other than what's coming out now. I don't know if that means like these channels. I don't. I don't know if these channels ever did care about these things, or if there is like sort of this convergence of like doing what Netflix is doing, which is only caring about the new stuff. But um, either way, it's extremely irritating. Oh god, you think it's bad on like Netflix or Hulu or HBO or and, and that shit is horrible. Like, there's nothing worse than oh, I'm gonna throw on an episode of The Wire. And then you're like, why has it been stretched into widescreen hell? Uh, <laughs> but my God, like on Amazon, it is it is fucking mind blowing. Some of the stuff that's on there, uh, especially with horror and exploitation films that I know have recently gotten, um, you know, like like upgrades or whatever. Uh, so mm-hmm. Vinegar Syndrome, yeah. they put out uh, Death by Temptation recently, and there's an old. Troma DVD and an old Troma VHS of of the same film and the VHS version of Death by Temptation is definitely on uh, Amazon right now and I don't know if that's legal or illegal or 
what those that that kind of rights negotiation looks like, but it's it's up there, and it looks like shit. And honestly, huh. there's there's a lot of things that I've booted up where I'm like, this is either a straight VHS rip that somebody uploaded, or more likely in my mind, people upload like shitty VHS rips of old movies all the time to YouTube. And a lot of horror films that I've just thrown on on Amazon specifically, like this is definitely the free version that's floating around on YouTube that no one's bothered to do a copyright claim on yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I was actually watching um, today and yesterday a couple VHS uh, movies on on YouTube. Like, I mean, they're like Japanese documentaries that uh, um, somebody uploaded from VHS, and I actually. <clears throat> Somebody on Twitter, I can't even, I can't recall who it was exactly, but somebody um, who's a programmer was talking about like I, I think they're probably based in the UK if memory serves me right, but they were trying to um, program uh, a series of creative films, which are the, who made the two documentaries I was watching, and they couldn't get the documentaries, and I I said oh that's weird because a lot of them are on YouTube, and they were like yeah that's. It's just illegal downloading, but the rights are really hard to finagle because Japanese television and blah, 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 like stuff that's over my head. But um, I don't know. It's weird, but I'll watch them while they're, while they're there. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I mean, as much as Amazon is a very flawed service, I almost prefer it, even though it is maybe mm-hmm. it's because it's the Wild West and I'm a finicky old man. But if I go into... A category, uh, just a broad category on Amazon. I could sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll until I, I keeled over dead. I, I could literally scroll through their content for days because it. And, and Netflix doesn't have less content than that. It's just there's no way for me to do that there, and, and that kind of drives me nuts. I'm like, if you're going to distribute it, I need to have a way to access it. <laughs> And they just have weird old stuff. Like they have not even old, but just like like uh, Steve was talking about some of the horror stuff. But they have like some like Taiwanese uh, new cinema stuff there that like you can't really find many places uh, or at all. And then it's there. Whereas Netflix is very specific about the parameters. Uh, another another thing you can find on Amazon as well is uh, a lot of old film noir that someone definitely ripped from. You guys remember those like really shitty like pan and scan box sets that they used to put out? Which oh yeah, just, like, oh, it's yeah. like public oh. domain stuff. Yeah, hundred and one great public domain noir films. There's a lot of that, and then yeah. also a lot of Hitchcock stuff that's clearly from not so great sources. So you could watch, you know, Rebecca from a print that someone took a shit on. <laughs> uh, it's great. <laughs> Everybody loves it. We, I. Do we- I'm going to step off for just a second, guys. You want to get started on a specific movie? Maybe uh, Jake's movie? What did you, what do you bring to the table, Jake? Sure. Well, I watched... Um, so I watched the, the Night Comes for Us, which is an Indonesian action thriller. It's directed by uh, Timo Tiajahanto. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but oh well. Um, he last collaborated with Gareth Evans, uh, who directed The Raid and The Raid sequel on uh, a segment in VHS 2 called Safe Haven, uh, which is about uh, this guy trying to break his sibling out of a cult and it all goes horribly wrong. Um, Gareth Evans has since spun that off into his own film, which also was released on Netflix, which is called Apostle. I also recommend that. 
Um, but uh, The Night Comes for Us uh, basically plays out like another... It, it's basically The Raid 3. If you want to see two hours of the craziest action martial art action motherfuckers tearing each other to pieces um, and, and be enraptured with a complete smile on your face, then this is the movie for you. Uh, I feel like if Netflix released more content like this, I would probably be less angry with them because this is the sort of this is the little morsel of gold that you find when you're panning through a river of shitty content. Because I, I when I watched this, I tweeted out that this movie like reinvents a new form of bodily harm every thirty seconds, which I still stand by. It's it's just mm-hmm. it's it's just such a an amazing blast to watch from start to finish and. And this is like the kind of free... I don't think that this was a film that was necessarily produced for Netflix, but I think they just got a hold of the distribution rights. But, I mean, I think this is this is a sort of a market they can tap into is these, these late midnight movies that, I, I hate to say the word, but they form a cult audience early on and, and people can watch and discover it one night. Um, but yeah, the film, I mean, there's not really much of a plot to speak of. It's just a uh, guy rescues girl and then a bunch of a task force team of elite soldiers try to take the girl back and uh, about 150,000 people get killed in the process. Yeah, um, well, but, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's a great a example of, of, uh, of what we were talking about, too, how y- you, have, you have these like big prestige films that everybody's talking about and then you have these, these movies that sort of get buried – and I, I feel like this one is completely buried. Like I, this was not advertised yeah. to me at all, and it's it's one of my favorite movies of, of 2018, easily, easily. I agree. I agree. Definitely, it's in my top ten, and I I had to hunt for it opening weekend. It was not on my main page, which is a real detriment to Netflix's algorithm. Because if I've maybe watched The Raid on a repeat in the past, why would I not want to watch this new movie? Because it's not as good as The Raid. Okay, well, settle down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sean, did you have a chance to watch this movie or not? No. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, I, I did have a chance, but I did not. Oh, well. <laughs> you didn't take that chance. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, uh, I mean, again, it's not really, it is all all style, but um, it's really good at what it does. Uh, and, you know, some of the violence might be cartoonish. But yeah, again, this is the sort of thing that I would use Netflix for, where if it's not too late in the evening where I'm not tired, but I can watch something. I could throw I could throw a hundred of these movies on, and uh, and yeah, Netflix was better at marketing and and bringing it to the forefront of their their catalog and their homepage or however they do their layout. Then yeah, I think this you know movie would uh, would fill the hearts of many other genre aficionados. Yeah, I I had a, a similar experience. I, w- I watched uh, Cam, which is another one that kind of got buried. And I only heard about it because you guys have talked about it, and it's a it's a Blumhouse film. So first thing I'm thinking is why wasn't this theatrically theatrically released? Because you know their movies are notoriously made for very little money, but usually recoup their budgets and then some. And uh, critically, they tend to do better than other low budget fare that gets pushed into theaters. And this is another area where I think Netflix can really shine because after about 20 minutes of cam, I was just like, okay, I'm into this, but also I know exactly why this isn't in movie theaters right now. It's a uh, uh, pesky MPAA. Yeah. The pesky MPAA. I, I don't think there's uh, just a, you know, it's, it's a very sexual film and not necessarily, I, there's no actual sex in the movie. I mean, you know, traditional person on person variety, but there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in there where 
it's it's about cam girls and you know so a lot of dildos a lot of vibrators a lot of whatnots going on so uh, not exactly something you can just throw into a movie theater and expect people to get it which is it's again really saying something because this is a very popular the the tech thriller right now with searching and the unfriended series and you know they're, they're they've all done incredibly well at the box office and have been pretty well received critically and you'd think that this would slot in there but there's it's a whole other wrinkle to this genre. But Cam was a big surprise for me. I, I didn't think I was going to be into it as much as I was. But it's pretty damn smart, and the wheels kind of fall off uh, as it moves into the third act, as things often do in this genre. But uh, it's, it's still a lot of fun. It's one of those things where it's just like you're hard-pressed to watch something for 85 minutes and, and find something more compelling in that category. Uh, I think um, as much as this is a... Uh I completely agree with you, Steve. But uh, as much as I, as much as we can call this a tech horror, which it is, um, I, I've kept thinking, at least from my experience, that it was better talked about. I mean, which uh, nobody would like, nobody has, but it's better talked about as a workplace uh, horror movie. Um, like almost as much as something like Support the Girls is very much about a workplace. Like this movie seemed very much about an occupation and oh, an yeah. occupation has to do with being online which you know so many people's occupations do and um yeah just how awful uh it is to be um you know uh, a part of part of this gig economy where you are you, you know it, it's just you it's, it's just you out there and you can be taken advantage of you know in a second oh absolutely yeah and there's no support and that's that's the big uh Basically, the, the thrust of the plot is you have your online identity stolen, but because of the, the taboo and, and the lack of understanding around the nature of the work that you're doing, in her case, this kind of like cam girl sex work type of stuff. Uh, yeah, so basically, you're just fucked by the gig economy. And that's what happens to her. She goes from making money hand over fist and having this big upward trajectory to, I mean, quite literally overnight, having her entire life stolen by this company, by this corporation, and sort of commodifying the online image that she's cultivated, and then she's fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? And it, probably there's there's some definite issues in in the third mm-hmm. act of the film, but the the final shot and kind of where the point that the movie ends on, without giving too much away, because I, I think it's a pretty poignant ending. It it's really all about how, despite everything that's happened, this this sort of system perpetuates. And yeah. there's there's no way to to kind of remove yourself from it, and that's how online identities are. I mean, I've I've had my my identity stolen two times, three times now. Um, I had a horrible thing happen to me last year where someone, um, like stole my information and like got into my PayPal account and like jacked all this money uh, from pay, like made all these charges to PayPal and uh, money that I don't fucking have. Uh, so I there was just like, you know, negative $20,000 in charges on my PayPal account. And I'm just like, I don't even know what $20,000 looks like. So, uh, yeah, that's a problem. And it, it took me, God, four or five months to, like, fully get my shit back together, basically. Jesus. And yeah, yeah. And for about, shit, about two, three weeks, I... Uh, I, I couldn't use any of my credit cards. I had to use cash for everything. Like, it was just a, it was a fucking nightmare. And shock of the century, PayPal's not exactly easy to fucking deal with. 
And when they finally, like, refunded everything, they refunded all these erroneous charges, which for a long time they said I had done and I had to go back and forth with them. But (laughs) they recharged everything except one charge. They were one cent short of the actual charge, so they kept sending me emails telling me that I, I owed them a penny, and I was just like, fuck you, I don't owe you fucking anything. And uh, as of this day, I still cannot use PayPal because of the one cent that I owe them oh, and refuse to pay them. <laughs> um, yeah, fuck them, though. Yeah, that's horrible. So Cam- Cam really uh, spoke to me because, you know, I, I'm, I've been out of work as a, uh, you know, a, a, a dildo-riding camboy. But of course, uh, I and I uh, even though yeah, I certainly agree that it kind of like falls off the way, like it kind of loses focus thematically as it as the genre propels, but um, which is unfortunate. But it still has like I think it'll be one that I'll continue to grow on me because um, it just has such a rich articulation of that stuff that I, or at least like. We don't have a lot of movies that have done that yet, and that certainly does. But, Myros, I know you had, like, an interesting take on it. Uh, You know, I thought this movie had a lot more going on than I anticipated walking in. Like, I I was figuring it to be... Because it's about a woman? Yeah. No, I figured it it to be sort of another uh, unfriended dark web, which, again, is is probably in my top ten of the year so far. But it's just a very plot-driven sort of movie. Uh, it knows what it wants to do and it just does it, but does not have anything to say. And, and this was almost the antithesis of that to me. Like, I thought this movie most reminded me of uh, Revenge from the same year, which uh, we've talked about on a previous podcast. But it, it is a movie that I think had a lot to say about uh, male-female dynamics, and especially in the sex industry. And... I really didn't find it to to go off the rails, especially. I mean, I'm not going to call it a perfect film by any stretch, but I, I thought it was pretty consistent. I just didn't, I I didn't see much of the plot as sort of literalism. I just thought it was very consistently thematic about uh, in in its pursuit of that loss of identity and sort of subjugation by a subculture and oppression by another subculture involved with that and i i just yeah i thought i thought this movie had a lot going on that i did not expect walking in do we do we mention that cam is a bloomhouse picture our favorite oh yeah studio we did yeah yeah we did yeah uh but yeah i get i'm kind of interested in like how they are going about this too because like this film is not rated it's rated tvma so i wonder if this is like a much looser distinction when it comes to calling things television, which uh, a couple of these movies are rated by the MPA, and a couple of them are, they just have TV ratings, which, God forbid, you call a film TV, but I mean, I'm guessing, wouldn't you, you'd you'd probably default to the TV rating unless you wanted to play it theatrically for awards consideration, and as good as Cam is, I don't think they saw it as really an award season film. And something like Other Side of the Wind was in theaters uh, in a few cities. Um, so I would imagine that has a uh-huh. letter rating. But, but Sean, Sean, you know, uh, um, Searching premiered at Sundance, just so you know. Uh, if, John, if John Cho doesn't get the Oscar nod, uh, I'm just I'm done with the awards season. I'm just over See, it. See, Bird Box also has an R rating. I don't know if that. Yeah, played it, it played in exactly four theaters across the country. Ah, yeah, and, it's and this get is awards another thing. Yeah, of course you got to get the awards consideration. But this is this is kind of a funny thing that Netflix is running into. So 
all of these theater chains are starting to see, well, Netflix is either buying and distributing or producing and distributing these films, and they're only, uh, you know, they're, they're throwing them up on their streaming service, and they're not giving any love to the theater chains. And, you know, right now there's estimations that Netflix alone has taken away, like, up to 10% of theater sales or something. I, that's just, you know, one of those random stats that you read. I don't know how they come to that conclusion, but... The idea behind this is the theaters are basically saying, well, fuck you. So a lot of things like like Roma, for instance, I guess it ran into a little bit of trouble trying to find theaters to play at. And I could see that being an issue going forward. Like, what's to stop AMC from going, hey, Netflix, fuck you. Either do a full theatrical release and then put it up on your service like Amazon or you can eat our ass. That's a good question. I mean, because why would they? So, of course, Bird Box is only going to play in four theaters. Because if Netflix is just like, yo, we got to play this in a couple theaters just to, you know, get our MPAA shit going. So, uh, yeah, can you throw us a a bone landmark cinema or something like that? Why why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just say fuck you right off the bat? I'll be interested to see how much um, Bloomhouse uh, creates for for Netflix. Yeah. and I'm also somewhat interested in like whether they get what, what kind of fee they negotiate. But but yeah, I'll be interested to see if because if they if they keep making stuff like Cam, like God, that that that'd be great. Like every four months, there's like a Bloomhouse movie that's good and and just small like that. Sure. And, yeah, and where I they think, don't I even have to monkey thing. with like censorship at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because because how many Bloomhouse movies have you seen where you're like. That was good, but I feel like there could have been something more here. Um, like uh, Upgrade, right. for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, Upgrade, pretty solid, but also it kind of it kind of pulls its punches. And something like that, if it gets dumped on Netflix and you don't have to worry about, you know, playing to a crowd and um, you don't have to worry about hitting whatever rating you have to hit in order to make money, then, yeah, maybe maybe that's that you end up with better films overall. I don't know. Uh, it, it's funny. We started the year in Netflix with a movie called Bright, and it feels like forever ago. Oh, that was oh, kind of a that was a dim dim moment in in my film watching for twenty. Well, good thing we ended yeah. with Bird Box. Am I right? Hey, yeah. that's good. it's it's always nice to bookend the year, right? What <laughs> are the two worst streaming films you've seen in in twenty eighteen? Well, Bright and Bird Box, I'd say. <laughs> So not, not counting I, anything dumped on Amazon unceremoniously. <laughs> Bird Box is is awful. I don't know why you guys made me watch it. It's it, don't watch it, please. Unless you're well, like I made really you watch fucking it because I knew you'd happening. hate it. Yeah, it's not the type of like so bad. I gotta see this. It's it's the opposite of of, of that. It's just like the most plain. It, it's it's just like the most. Uh, I don't know, cereal box toy of a movie. Yeah, it's essentially, if you wondered to yourself what the happening would be like if it weren't entirely incompetent, that's Bird Box. So it's actually, the answer is, it's less fun and you, and you don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, and I thought uh, Quiet Place sucked. Yeah, which, yeah. I, you know, now now I'm starting to reconsider my stance on A Quiet Place because it's like, damn, in comparison. Whew. Here's the thing. A Quiet Place is 40 minutes shorter than Bird Box. That's true. Yeah, that helps a lot. Bird Box is this insufferably is, long. 
This is a problem I've run into with a lot of these. It, it's, yeah. They, they don't seem to give a shit about the, the length. Uh, and oh. a lot of these could use some editing. Bird Box I don't was think based like on a, a single novel. one of these movies that's under two hours long. No, they're they're all over two hours. Like Bird Box was was based on a novel, and I feel like there wasn't a script. They just had the fucking book, and we're just going page by page. That it it goes on forever, and yeah, there's but- so much shit. It's based on a novel, but I mean, you wouldn't know it from watching the film because, like, you, <laughs> this is the this is the the king algorithm movie or queen, right? however yeah. you want to put it. Wasn't Annihilation supposed to be on Netflix? It was released on the UK Netflix when it came out in oh, theaters okay. here, which yeah. Yeah, made that's, it available that's online another... immediately. God, I mean, <clears throat> I have my troubles with Annihilation, but I, it reminds me of Bird Boxes as uh, something that's based on a popular novel, uh, sci-fi novel. Um, but uh, God, that's so much better, even. And I, but well, um, at least, at least Annihilation, yeah, Annihilation has things going on. Like, you know? what is yeah, the, yeah. this is the sort of yeah, movie elements. again? It's kind of riffing on uh, Night of the Living Dead. You're Again, very much happening. It, it, it does have a similar feel to a quiet place, but but what you could say here is that this is the sort of movie that demands a theme. And this, what is the theme of Bird Box? The movie is, says nothing. Yeah, it's just yeah. things happening. It doesn't. It's no societal commentary or anything. It's, it's, just it's like, about uh, learning to love your children by being an asshole. Yeah, it's like if M Night Shyamalan blindfolded himself and made a movie. Um, <laughs> That's that's what this would be. But uh, we are sp- speaking about length. A uh, perfect example is something like a, pri- uh, a private life. Again, good movie. Or sorry, I think it's just called Private Life, not a private life. Um, a private Settle place. down, fans, with your tweets. I, I was uh-huh. just I was just picturing someone on Netflix typing in a private life and never finding anything. <laughs> yeah. so, that's correct. So, private Private Life is I believe it's two hours and five minutes, which is. Uh, insane. Um, it's it's about this couple, aging New York couple that um, are trying to come to grips with, uh, you know, aging up, and uh, they're trying to have a baby, and there's a whole bunch of fertility issues and whatever, and it's just basically like these cranky lifelong partners dealing with living with each other and their relationship and whatever, and it's just like this. There's there's just no there's no reason for this to to be two hours and five minutes. I don't know if that has anything to do with the Netflix model or what, but I don't love it. I, I would think that they would want to keep things closer to like Cam, which is like ninety eight minutes, where it's just like you know you can you can get in and get out. Like well, it, they probably they have no stake in like keeping people watching one thing, right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I yeah. guess my guess would be Cam was not produced with them in mind considering it it is literally mm. the only one of these that's under two hours i'll tell you what we'd probably be watching the purge if it was dropped on netflix the series oh that's probably true. yeah i'd yeah. rather not so thankfully <laughs> yeah, i just i just can't be bo- even something like bird box like i can't be bothered but uh it's there so i might as well although netflix did try to keep me from watching it um i when i loaded it up i started to type in bird box and i think the app kind of like glitched out on my smart TV and I typed in bird. And after I typed in the word bird, uh, the movie Grimsby, the Sasha Baron Cohen movie, <laughs> it just populated like three rows. <laughs> <laughs> How did 
did that happen? <laughs> I don't know, but it was, was kind of awesome. I was like, I don't, I don't uh, think that's good either, but also I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I should watch Grimsby. I don't. <laughs> Probably should So Bird Box is not on our list, but what is on our list is uh, uh, perhaps the best action movie I've seen this year, which is uh, G. Woon Kim's Hold the Dark. Oh. The Wolf Brigade. <laughs> Wolf Brigade. Uh, because you're into that anime, right? A little weeaboo Myros. I, I am not into the anime, but you're not a weeaboo. Uh, I am into G Woon Kim, and this movie. I'm into the anime. Kind of came out of nowhere for me, because again, Jack, an avid anime and Korean cinema fan, oh, he's, was he's not the, even aware that this movie existed like months after its release. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, uh, yeah. Jack is like the ultimate optimism vaccine weeaboo. So if anybody should know that that was going to exist, it would be him. Yeah. What's annoying though is that uh, I mean that's great for you. I didn't I didn't watch Wolf Brigade, but I, I I probably will at some point. But what's annoying is that there are these things that just pop up that are good, and then meanwhile people are waiting to see. Well, not not a bunch of people, but a handful of people are waiting to see. Um, Hold the Dark, the next movie by the guy who did Green Room and, and, and Blue Ruin. And then it's just like a pile of garbage. Not Maybe that's overstating it. but yeah, No, some, it's, I, I agree. Nah. There's also the, the disappointment of having basically given too much freedom. I mean, sometimes you do need that studio to pull you back. And if Netflix hands you a blank check, I think it, it could be a disaster if a director runs amok with the worst of their ideas and intentions. And I think well, Hold yeah, the Dark I is think a perfect example of that. Like he had, I love Bad Blue movie. Ruin and Green Room, but yeah, that was a, just a terrible, a terrible flop for him. I think, and, uh, uh, yeah, Apostle's kind of in the same vein. I mean, it's it's not as big of a folly as Hold the Dark, but it's also, you kind of see a lot of the director's worst tendencies in, in a movie that could have used the guiding hand. Yeah, yeah I wonder, uh, was Hold the Dark made with Netflix in mind? Because um, that's a perfect example of a director like not doing exactly what they're good at and maybe that was like a product of uh that that sort of freedom to like sort of oh see what else i can do uh, probably because the the top streaming movie on netflix for a while was probably like the gray because liam neeson and wolves and snow so they were like what if we did that but without liam neeson but we got you the guy from westworld instead there you go you want you want to be in for thing, 5 minutes the other thing about that movie it's based on a book Based on a book, the Netflix oh, yeah. classic move. And I believe it's faithful. I, I wish Hold the Dark Tell was me. half as good as the fucking Grey else in that. The Grey yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It's, a sh- it's a shootout in search of a movie. Yeah. So what's Wolf Brigade, uh, Myros? Like, what's your sell on Wolf Brigade? Uh, it's a movie that I should hate because it's super, like, it's set up as super anime where it's just like, it's got this, like, preamble of, like, the future, this elite soldier squad who looks like something out of a shitty Xbox 360 game is, is <laughs> taking over and subjugating the rebel class and it's just like okay this is going to be fucking terrible but <laughs> but Jiwon Kim <laughs> is not terrible he's he's amazing so he makes this into something he it, it essentially kind of becomes uh, the story of one individual and his, his interaction he's dealing with with kind of a rote trauma, it's not a it's not a movie that's going to say a whole hell of a lot. It, it, it's kind of just a standard. Oh, PTSD. He's got it, and these kind of warring factions utilize what is a perceived fragility in him to uh, 
ingratiate him to this woman who ends up being involved with the the rebels but it, it, at that point the setup just kind of stops and the movie just becomes a very long chase scene where the government has turned on this guy and everyone's out to kill him and he's a, he's a, almost a born type if you will but uh again Ji Woon Kim is a better director than anyone who's done a born movie so this is just very pulse pounding great action I'll yeah. take it if you, I, if you, agree, if you can get me out. to watch live action anime, I mean that's it's a good sell. I'll well, I'll, I'll throw in I've I've I'm a fan of the anime and I've I've seen the original one before watching this film. This is easily the best uh, live action adaptation of an anime film I've ever seen. Which oh, is wow. which is which is kind of damning with fame praise because a lot of them are just dog shit. But um, and I know too much about the subject to go on. But yeah, uh, I, bro, I, I highly bro. recommend. Bro, have you seen Ghost in the Shell? Because uh, there's a lot of hot chicks in that one. I fucking forgot about that movie. I was referring <laughs> to like the uh, the Death Note movies, but um, but yeah, this is really good. If you want to see what a chain gun can do to a human body, I would recommend watching Jinro: The Wolf Brigade. Did anybody watch Twenty Two July? The the Peter Greengast movie that uh, is part of oh. this award slate? No, we no, only watched uh, July 22nd. We didn't watch 22 July. I'm sorry. That's yes, it. yes. Well, isn't that you? There's uh, two of them, right? To, to, yeah, there's a... The Utoya. Utoya. Utoya, yep. 22 um, Utoya there, July or something. Yeah, there's like a Scandinavian one-shot film. But, the um, film that uh, resensitized David Ehrlich to violence. Yes, that's true. And uh, the problem the problem with twenty two July is that it's one hundred and twenty or it's two hours and twenty minutes, which is just like uh, a long time for a green grass movie. Um, but uh, there was also flops, or that, I mean, like Mute was earlier this year, and that was something that uh, I think got universally panned. Um, that's there was another. Also, that's another one of those auteur left to his own devices. Uh, it could be a disaster movie because Duncan Jones, yeah. up until well, I guess Warcraft really sucked, but he had shown promise before, and and people thought, okay, if he you know kind of reverts back to a a low budget uh, sci fi film like he done previously, maybe he'll have something good here. But uh, we were wrong. You know, it's another one that from this year that I started watching. I didn't. I didn't finish, but. Anon. Does anybody know this? Anon. No clue what that no. is. <clears throat> it's it was uh, Andrew Nicole's new movie, and Andrew Nicole, I kind oh. of have like a have an interest in as just like yeah, this figure who makes bad movies, but is like completely thematically obsessed. Um, and so I guess in that term, he's an auteur. He's just he just makes bad movies um over and over again uh but that was like the clive owen like brain chip philip k dick type movie uh with amanda seafried but um not good but but uh probably actually more fun than than a lot of this stuff but i was going to talk about like the the netflix trajectory because as i mentioned at the top like this award slate or this prestige season for them is kind of new. Um, like last year, the big one was like Mudbound and maybe something else, but I feel like it was mainly just Mudbound. Before that, they, I think they pushed um, years ago, they pushed Beast of No Nation. But um, this is kind of a big, big turn so uh i'm guessing they're just you know oh, finessing was the other one 
Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that was, yeah, that and Mudbound uh, were, were two that people kind of uh, really liked. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't have any big... Uh, um, any big conclusions, but just something. I, I think to, it's the harbinger of something bad. Like it's just, yeah. it's going to be uh, a lot of these streaming services doing the same thing. So again, I, I feel like this sprawl is going to get out of hand. Where it's going to be like, oh, you want to see all the Oscar movies? Uh, good luck. You got to subscribe to these seventeen different streaming services or something. Which, mm. again, I—I I mean, you could say there's ease of access to piracy online, but as someone who has, uh, who may or may not have dabbled in such uh, pursuits over the years, that is becoming increasingly difficult over the last, honestly, years. Become much more difficult to engage in than it was previously. Uh, well, I guess TV is already there. Like Hulu has routinely has like you know TV shows under consideration, right? Sure. Um, and Netflix, obviously, but uh, and, and and stars even HBO. You know, I, I think that's there. So yeah, I don't know. I hope not. I hope HBO sticks to like their thing. They're like TV movies that uh, you know people will watch or not. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I hope so. We're so. talking other we're side like, of the wind at all, or are we just? Uh, I guess we're other side away. of the wind is is. I mean, I don't. I don't even know what to say about it other than, if if you've seen, F for Fake, and you're like, this is really good, and I really like Orson Welles, and I want to see something completely insane, uh, then yeah, watch it. And if you you do not answer yes to any of those questions, do not watch it because your brain will fucking melt. It's just it requires your like turn off your fucking phone. Sorry to sound like you know your your overbearing father here, but like you you have to just you can't blink. Immerse, you cannot blink. Yeah. Yeah. Immerse yourself in this as much as possible because if you don't, you will get lost immediately and just just kind of like lose the flow of the film. This is true. If yeah. if Roma is a calm pond that you wade into, then. I mean, yeah, other side of the wind is, the, is just you're yeah. falling off of Niagara Falls, basically. That's <laughs> well. What was your uh, reaction, Myros? Uh, it's a movie I liked. I probably have it about where I figured it. I, I thought it would probably land somewhere in my top ten of the year, and I think <laughs> it will. But it needs a little more digestion. I just watched it last yeah. night, and it's. It's a movie that I found rather difficult. Well, not only because of the way it's structured and, and the complete just breadth of content, but just tonally, it's just <laughs> I I have not watched the accompanying documentary, but the film just feels like a poison pill for Wells. Like he just seems to kind of hate where he was at at that point in his life, and it's it's just one of the more self-loathing pieces of art I, I've seen in a long time. And, yeah. yeah. That's not easy to watch, that, but it is very... It's I a mean, very call, yeah. call me crazy. It, it feels like something that was shot over the course of six years on and off and then 15. tinkered with for another ten. And then uh, yeah. after that, uh, it feels like someone put it together 30 years later. Like it's, It is very much... That's like exactly Knowing that happened. going in, you're like, yeah, that, that all makes sense. <laughs> uh, that Houston performance is is really something special. I think. Yeah, uh, Bogdanovich is great. Too. I love yeah. Bogdanovich oh, sure, yeah. in that movie. Him just shit talking people is fantastic. Oh, it's pretty good. I think 
I, yeah, I, I think the Houston performance is something that if it was a contemporary film, it would it, it, like there's no possible way you could overlook it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I really am fascinated by the film and the meta narrative around it, considering that the film has so much sort of disdain for the the hangers on and the people who who consider the filmmaker mm-hmm. sort of a god. And and this film would never exist if it weren't for those types at the, at this stage. You know, it's these people who are obsessed with the legacy of Orson Welles who are allowing this to happen mm-hmm. in 2018. So it's 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 very fascinating. My my yeah. hope is is that it doesn't even get nominated for best editing Oscar for any or any any of the technical Oscars. Hope it gets none because that would just be great. That was <laughs> one of the funny things that that I noticed when like all the critics association um, uh, like nominations and whatever selections were coming out um, earlier this month. It was funny. It was kind of telling when a, like for a couple of them, I, I remember Chicago distinctly. Um, only gave it editing, like best editing, and then gave it nothing else. And it's just the type of thing where it's like, it, it, the movie is the editing. Like you can't be like, oh yeah, I really like the editing, but I don't know how much I like the movie. Like, no, the, the two are, are more intertwined than any other movie that's ever been. Like, right. The only other thing I can think of is, uh, so the guy who put this together, he works for um, or with, um, it's I think it's Grindhouse releasing. And he did an edit of this old Duke Mitchell movie from the 70s called Gone with the Pope, wherein Duke Mitchell, uh, playing basically Duke Mitchell, uh, decides to kidnap the Pope and, and hold him for ransom. And it's basically, it's a lot like Massacre Mafia style, which was Duke Mitchell's first movie, where he, he wants to be Frank Sinatra, and also he loves the movie The Godfather a lot, so he tried to make a movie, and it's just gory and stupid and weird and gone with the pope is the same thing it was just it was in fucking shambles and this same guy put it together so Mm -hmm. after watching gone with the pope like a couple years ago and then watching other side of the wind like they're they're different movies they have a different feeling to them but just stylistically they have this weird connection because the editing is so much of of what those two films are so yeah it's like it's its like category um, it's weird yeah Right. It, it's like watching like a musical that you're like, this is, you know, all of the music in this is the most beautiful, touching thing. The movie's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does, it's, yeah it's kind of interesting while you're watching it to just be like, well, is this like what editing choices were made with, with intent and what were made out of necessity? And it, it just becomes sort of this game you're playing while you're watching it. Sure. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just and the god there's so many just with the pacing of it too. There's so much going on and so many layers. It's it's just it's head spinning. It's absolutely head spinning. I don't know how anybody could put it together. It's it's fucking insane. But there you go. Uh, I, I think I mean that pretty much we we've covered all the Netflix Netflix bases for uh, 2018. And so if you if you need a recap, um, Netflix is going to consume us all with the algorithm and I will be on my knees and crying out for Comcast Cable to take me back by the end of 2019. That's my <laughs> prediction. We will see, though. Before we wrap things up, though, guys, I, th- I think we need to do something that is very important to this podcast, and that is we-, we need to make sure we cover the second half of season two 
of of nine one one. So now I've I've lucky for you I I have created a nine one one recap theme song which uh, hopefully we'll get to use more in the future. Uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop that in here. Nine one one. It's ringing. Hello, 911. What's the emergency? Hooray! And that was, well, how beautiful is that? Are you, is that, are those, is that sobbing I hear, Jake? Are can you, you crying? Play, can you play that again? Yeah, I'll play it one more time for you. 911! What's the emergency? Hooray! And Sean, I, I just wow. heard it sounded like a slide whistle. I'm assuming that was uh, you getting an erection from the beauty of that song <laughs> I just played. Yep. Okay, I figured as much. Anyways, we don't have to go into the, the nuts and bolts of the second half of season two. And if you want to catch our recap of season one, go back in the archives. We got it there. Steve, you but, realize we're not covering that much. Because season two no. is not even over. It's going until it's 18 episodes. Is it now? Wow. Yes. Okay. We're okay. only covering episodes five this, through seven to today. Yes. Yeah, no, this, five is, this will be episodes five, six, and seven. Five, six, and seven. Okay. I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna take the whole the whole rest of the season. Well, that's good because I don't want to talk about the last three episodes, anyways. Really, oh, the only thing that I'm concerned great. with in in uh, these these next three episodes, I I cannot, I, I can't deal with this fucking little kid, man. I can't deal with him, little Simon Birch motherfucker. <laughs> I, I just I wanna I wanna Fargo wood chipper him. I can't I cannot deal. Tell me that's I okay. Like, I feel like none of the three episodes even have the little kid in them. Just doesn't just matter. He pops out. He's everywhere. He's in the background. He's menacing to me. He's just always there. His presence. This, these episodes had a totally separate child drama involving uh, the the two lesbian characters and their custody battle. Yeah. Well, that sucks too. I th- <laughs> no, this 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 three episode chunk, it, it's the worst I've seen to the show. I think this eighteen episode order was a drastic mistake because this is it's not enough shit happening here. No, I agree. I agree. There's just, I mean, it's it's too much actual drama, and not enough zany bullshit, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it sucked. Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> I I am ashamed of you, Ryan Murphy. So what did happen? We got Maddie goes on right along with Athena. That was stupid. Nothing came of it. Uh, while dealing with a seemingly perfect dispatcher. So the thrust here was that there was an insane old woman who was hanging up on people calling 911. And then she got fired and blamed it on Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, kind of like falling down. Yeah, sort of. But then down she had action. a touching story that explained why she hung up on people. Why yeah. she fell down. Cause it's because they wouldn't serve her breakfast at McDonald's past 11 a.m. Yes, that, that was also why Michael Douglas fell down in the movie Falling Down. <laughs> I, clearly, you watched the third act of the film. <laughs> uh, uh, is there uh, anything? That episode, I think we can move on. It's fucking yeah, boring. fuck it. It's, it's trash. fucking boring. The next episode... That was the the sh- uh, shit in the mouth episode, though. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a Fred Phelps character who uh, 
was like 400 pounds and in a rascal, and then his colostomy bag backed up while he was degrading a troop's funeral. God. And the, so he was shit, uh, shitting from his mouth, yeah. much like the language that he used. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel the same way about the troops, honestly, at this point, so... That's yes. I, I'm, I'm on his side. Well, you know, Sean and I were, were noting that it is it's just such a timely reference. You know, you can't turn on the news today without hearing about Fred Phelps and his cronies at, at troops funerals. That's yeah. just such a 2018 problem. Isn't it great how like quaint the Westboro Baptist Church seems at this point? Like they're almost <laughs> fucking cute. That's where we're at, folks. Yes. OK, so moving oh. on to episode six, which is. Not great, but it's definitely the best of these three episodes, which is Dosed, uh, in which uh, the the crew eats a bunch of acid because someone from a cricket eating concert or concert contest sent them a a batch of LSD soaked cookies or something. Well, okay, so this episode also kind of sucks, but I will say yes. that there's there's entertainment in the fact that like. Literally no one involved in this entire production, from the writer to the director to any of the stars, has ever done drugs once. Like, a couple of these guys smoked weed in college, that's it. It fucking rules the way that none of them have ever done drugs. I'm very into this. <laughs> it's like Reefer Madness updated for 2018. So while this is happening, we're treated to a, an office-style uh, a bunch of external camera footage because a... A reporter is doing a a very desaturated news story about the uh, the brave firemen at the the station of Sports Night, um, and she she she's set up as the potential new love interest for Buck because she's redheaded and clearly Connie Britton is also redheaded, so that that makes perfect sense. Yep. Uh, but it turns out she's ruthless and career oriented. Uh, so she has no place in the hearts of our heroes. Um, but she does not, uh, the producers do not allow her to expose the firefighters as drug abusers, uh, and irresponsible, which they are. Uh, the, the standout here was the bodybuilding competition we alluded to earlier, I would say. Oh, yeah, that was, that was good, where the guy gets stuck in a pose. <laughs> We've all yeah. been there, he right? Lie, he lies about, uh, <clears throat> taking steroids. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a strong anti-drug message in this one. I think, like, you should roid up and dose on acid as much as humanly possible. Like, if people are giving you free drugs, don't say no. Where are you going to get free acid these days? That is a fucking gift, okay? The best thing about this is the uh, documentary, though. Yes, yeah, it, it is. It's real shitty. Because it is continuously cut in desaturated footage for no reason. And then yeah. the final product resembles nothing of what we saw, including the colors. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It, was a, it was a choice. I'm not sure why it was a choice, but it was a choice. The description also measures a toddler pageant, which I don't think had any bearing on the plot whatsoever. It was just they were drugged out, and they went to a toddler beauty pageant and were like, the beauty queens look tiny because drugs <laughs> and... There was a, somebody was like choking or something. No, she had a high heel stabbed into her cheek. Oh my god, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. again, that sounds more fun than it actually is. This yeah, exactly. Boring as sin. Kind of drags. Well, so, and then the one after that is uh, that's the, the spooky Halloween episodes. After that, right? 
Yeah, which is yeah. is a huge letdown from the previous spooky Halloween episode. Yeah, it's a huge fucking letdown, and they murder a horse. They kill a horse. Why do I you don't even to- remember that happening? I was Jesus. I was zoned out because that's that's the thing. It's like there's no there's no reason to kill the horse. Like the entire story can go fine, but they're just like, yeah, we're gonna shoot this fucking horse at the end. Don't kill a horse. Why are you doing that now? It's because they they got to get the, the the cheap pop, man. That's all they want. Oh yeah, now I do remember that policeman called him and it was like crying, like my horse fell down, and then they kill him, and <laughs> a, a, ch- a child trick or treater comes up, it's like, oh, but I like horses, and then they just kill. Oh. Well, and there's no, there's no, like it's it's just the cheap emotional pop of be sad. We just shot a horse on TV, and then you're like, right. oh, that's a bummer. And there's no like emotional uplift after that. You know, you got to follow the old Yeller model. Okay, what happens to old Yeller, Myros? What happens? Uh, he gets shot. He gets shot. And you know what happens in the next Spoiler. scene after that? Uh, no, I haven't seen that movie in a long Let time. Let me tell you, we get introduced to motherfucking Pup Yeller, okay? We get a cute puppy. So it's okay. Old Yeller's dead, but Pup Yeller lives. But there's we no, don't there's even... No, there's no baby horse here. Do we even know what happened to this horse? Like, yeah, doesn't it just, it just cut to an injured horse? Like, yeah, see, it, I feel like season one nine one one is having like a a meteor fall from the sky and hit the horse in the leg or something. D- yeah. d- this just isn't doing enough for me. I need more stupid shit. Like, what what else happens here? Some bats disrupt a haunted house. Yeah, there's not a dumb guy enough. a guy who accidentally gets like falls into the grave in the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not dumb enough. Get dumber. Yeah, no, this just doesn't do it. Maddie thinks she has received a ghost call from a missing hiker. I don't, I don't even, that means nothing to me. Yeah, it's, that's the, the spooky idiot who fell down the cliff, and then they, they, she got the call from a skeleton. That's that's pretty spooky. Oh, I, I was totally so zoned out at that it's, point. Yeah, because it's fucking terrible. <laughs> it's not good. I, listen, this show succeeds when... Every single scene, Angela Bassett's in, she's trying to win an Oscar or or, or an Emmy, and she's just acting her fucking face off and just chewing up all the scenery while the dumbest thing humanly possible is happening around her. And she continues to chew scenery here throughout this season, but but it's just, it's not stupid enough. I'm telling you, they need to stick with these 10-episode seasons. Yeah. Condense the madness. Condense the madness. All right. Well, I mean, that's where we're at so far um, <laughs> with nine one one. It's still the best show on television. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Uh, it's it's the era of prestige television. This is peak TV. Welcome. All right, I'm gonna play my song again though. Nine one one. Nine one one. Hey, I think it's ringing. What's the emergency? Hooray! Oh, that was good. Myros, do you want to hear that again? Uh, I mean, it's it's very transparent that we're not actually hearing the song, so I'm going to go ahead and, and hope that this is the exact same terrible song as the film discussion song. <laughs> no, it's, it's completely different. <laughs> you, you don't like my film discussion song? That's a great song. Well, why didn't we play the film discussion song today? We uh, discussed films. It's, uh, I'm sorry. Do you not listen to the lyrics of our film discussion song, which say, and I quote, "Gonna take you to the movies, short day." We're not taking the, the movies are coming to us. That's how Netflix works, man. We don't come to the movies. 
Is it put over time? It is put over time. <laughs> Sean, what are you putting over this week? I want to put over uh, an incredible, uh, very, very, very good series that aired this fall on the channel Stars. This the, is us. Oh, no. Okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, uh, this is on the premium uh, end of your cable. Um, but, and I know that that probably distances a lot of listeners, but uh, I don't have stars, as many of us do not, but you can pay $5 for a month of stars in which you can watch this series called America to Me. It's a 10-episode series. It's a docu-series um, by Steve James, who made Hoop Dreams, uh, one of the finest American pictures ever made. Um, and this is very much in that same vein. Uh, he even narrates it with, uh, you know, you you could swear that he narrated both films uh, in the same day. Uh, they sound so similar. But um, this is, uh, uh, he used, um, he employed uh, a few other young documentarians, including... Um, uh, the guy who made Minding, Minding the Gap this year um, to profile this year at Oak Park High School, which is in Chicago. It's a very diverse school. And um, it just uh, follows a bunch of students, but it also talks to you know security guards, people who work in the lunch line, a lot of the teachers, and just talks about uh, race and intersectionality and dynamics and just, just basic life in this place and um it's very easy to watch even though it's dense it's very compelling easy easy stuff to watch but just fantastic cool all right myros what are you putting over god this was a lot of prep i haven't watched fucking anything i i just watched more jiwoon kim guys just i'll even make it easy on you you can watch his american film the last stand starring arnold schwarzenegger it's not his best work but it's a damn fine time watch it that's fair. I didn't know you did that. I will. We're learning things today. We're learning things. Uh, Jake, what do you put over? Yeah, so um, this year, as uh, we may all know, the one of the most critically acclaimed films is First Reformed, starring Ethan Hawke and directed by Paul Schrader. Uh, so last night I went back and I watched uh, Paul Schrader's uh, first film, Blue Collar, which uh, stars Harvey Keitel, Richard Pryor, and Yafet Koto. As a trio of uh, automobile assembly line workers who are increasingly f- what city? What city were they working in? Uh, Detroit, I believe. Um, That's right. Yeah, and uh, they so they become increasingly fed up with uh, both how their uh, floor supervisor works and how their union rep is treating them. So they decide to essentially rob their union rep's office, uh, knowing that there's a safe there, uh, and then shit kind of gets out of hand from there. But this is a film that is powerfully acted by all of its cast members, but um, and it's also uh, a film that I would say still is relevant and resonates today. Um, the script is razor sharp, and if you're looking for one of the probably best unsung American films of the 1970s, I highly recommend it. So, Blue Collar, check it out. It's available on the new... Uh, New powerhouse Blu-ray uh, from uh, from yeah from Powerhouse. I don't know about series. this. I, uh, clearly, Jake's not familiar with Detroit. It's it's not resonant today. Everything has been fixed. <laughs> not the yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, is um, Richard Pryor performance in that is just incredible. Um, everybody's good, but uh, yeah, it's 
I, 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 I second Jake's I was, recommendation. I, I was shocked to find that the three guys hated each other throughout the making of the film because they yeah. get along so fantastically in the film. But yeah, they were apparently at wit's end with each other when the cameras were not rolling. And Paul, I believe Paul some Trader guns got a, pulled. Yeah, guns got pulled. Apparently, Paul Strayer has since disowned the film, which is it seems crazy to me because I think this is easily the best film that he's directed that I've seen. But um, yeah, Blue Collar. I think uh, I can't remember if, if this is exactly correct, but Richard Pryor blamed Paul Strayer for going back into alcoholism or something <laughs> like that. He might have relapsed. Yeah, and yeah, Fakoto yeah, blamed Richard Pryor for improvising, which caused him to to mess himself up because he knew the script so well. But Richard Pryor would often go off off course. Ah, yeah, it's a mess, but well, it made a made a wonderful picture. I I've never seen it, and actually I'd never heard of it until I saw it pop up uh, in the the Powerhouse Indicator series, and I was just like, oh, I didn't know Paul Schrader did this, and it seems kind of interesting. And uh, you were kind enough to buy it and watch it, so maybe now I'll get around to doing the same thing. Uh, or you know, you never know. Maybe it'll just pop up in the hidden gem section of Netflix. And I'll just <laughs> I'd, I'd never see it there though. <laughs> I, I'm going to put over something different. I'm going to put over a video game today so uh there's a game called into the breach which is available on steam i believe but i would recommend if you have a nintendo switch play it on nintendo switch it's on sale on switch right now for like 10 bucks or something super cheap and it is a turn-based strategy game so you're in these like mech things myro's very anime you'd be into this and uh it's created by the guys who made ftl faster than light uh so it's a lot of uh, micromanagement of these different mechs that you're walking around in. And also, it's the first time I played a, a real-time strategy game that sort of uh, values your defensive abilities as much as just, like, your ability to kill all the enemies on the screen. So every single time that you start a new round, there's all these, like, landmarks that you have to protect, but you also have to kill monsters. So every every single time it's your turn, you're, you're basically faced with, do I let this skyscraper fall down to kill this, or do I kill this monster now? Or So you have to kind of balance your offensive and your defensive moves. It's really engaging, really makes you think. Uh, it's difficult, but not in a super frustrating way. And yeah, it's probably the best thing I've played this year. So, Into the Breach. Buy it. But, but does this turn-based strategy game involve Mario or Rabbids? It, it does not! <laughs> well, then I'm going to have to pass. That, that, is your, that is your turn-based strategy game of choice. Yeah, it's very fun. It is. I, I think you get a kick out of this one, though. You should give it a shot. Again, 10 bucks. Come on. That's sure, like two beers. Sure. All right, guys. That about wraps things up for this episode. But, uh, hey, let's let's talk about uh, where people can find you on the Internet. Sean, where can we find you? At Mr. Glynis on Twitter. Uh, also, you can read his stuff on uh, <laughs> Film Inquiry. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote, uh, I wrote a lot of stuff this year. Which, well, yeah, you did write a lot of shit. Uh, I don't. I don't know why I don't write more for Optimism Vaccine. I mean, we've we've pay you really well. You've gotten Rotten Tomato certified from us, so I don't. I don't understand. It's not about the money, wow. and, you know, and we've published just... uh, a grand total of like one written piece in the last two years. Where, yeah, come on. for sure, for sure. Uh, Jake, where can we find you on the internet? I'm on uh, all the things as Jake Tropila, T R O P I L A. You can uh, hit me up at Twitter. Uh, I'm also a fellow denizen of uh, Film Inquiry. I post some things there. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Cool. Myros, we can't find you anywhere. Um, what, what's your location setting for your grinder profile right now? 
I don't even know what those words mean. Exactly. <laughs> sure you don't, buddy. Google it as soon as we're done with this episode. Then you'll laugh, maybe. Uh, you can find me at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F on Twitter. You can also find us at Optimism Vaccine on Twitter. Or you can email us if you have any questions, comments, things that you want us to talk about on future episodes, anything like that, death threats, marriage proposals, what have you. Optimism Vaccine at gmail.com. That's the place to send those. And other than that, uh, make sure you head to our iTunes page. There is a link in this podcast that you are listening to right now in the description. Open up the description of the podcast. It's right there. That's one click. Take a second click. Poke your your little fucking greasy piggy sausage finger (laughs) at the link that's at the bottom of the page, and that will take you to our iTunes page, wherein you can give us five stars and a written review. Why would you do such a thing? Why does that matter? Great question. The more reviews that we get, especially written reviews, especially five-star reviews, and I'll have you know, we are at four and a half stars because of some fucking asshole who wasn't listening, and we need to get up to the five stars because then we become more visible on iTunes, and the more visible we are, the more people can see our shit, and uh, the more people will listen. It's, it's kind of like the algorithm, you know? It's, it, we want to be aroma. We don't want to be an other side of the wind that's just buried, right? Of course. All right, that about wraps things up. Uh, Jake, last word's yours. We are going to make this apocalypse great again. 